This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. At Starcrest Farm in Oxford, North Canterbury, Jack and Eleanor Patterson are bringing in their pregnant ewes for pre-lamb shearing. These are three to four weeks off lambing. Walk up. Sit. That was last Sunday's episode of Country Calendar, the most popular local show on TV here by miles. In fact, the most watched TV show full stop, other than the news. More than 600,000 Kiwis would have seen champion Axeman Jack and wool-spinning expert Eleanor from Starcrest Farm in North Canterbury on TVNZ1 last Sunday. Country Calendar is also the longest-running show on New Zealand television, so clearly there's an appetite for rural yarns. Excuse the pun. This is our woolen spun yarn and it's been soaking in water overnight and I'm just dropping it into the dye liquid that's going to come up to the boil fairly quickly. One of the longest-lasting magazines in New Zealand was also founded on journalism, recording life in places big and small all over the country, north and south. And more recently, New Zealand Geographic has carved out a niche doing the same. However, these days our news media are more metropolitan than ever. For years, major media companies here have been cutting back in the regions or shutting down in them altogether because of rising costs and falling income. And that was something veteran local affairs reporter Todd Nile talked about on Media Watch last weekend, the week his 46 years in news came to an end. That really local level of hyper-local coverage is, is kind of going. I don't know that anyone could now start a newspaper as such with a physical product. I mean, the costs just of printing and producing and and distributing. There's always this hope that something will come and fill the void at the more local level. I guess it's going to have to be online. But then there's that old online thing of, you know, how do you pay for it? And local news coverage is also getting thinner on the air. This week, Stuff's reporter in Dunedin, Hamish McNeely, revealed that local TV station Channel 39 is set to close. The station, formerly known as Channel 9, has been on the air for decades, bankrolled by New Zealand On Air and Allied Press, the owners of the Otago Daily Times. But around the country, local people still passionate about covering what's happening where they are, are stepping up and filling the gaps. And from time to time here on Media Watch, we'll be checking in on who's still doing the business in our regions and how they're doing it at the grass and flax roots. Recently, Hayden Donnell checked in on Whanganui, and this week he heads to Horofenua with a small incursion across the border into Kapiti while he was at it. Okay, can you take me on a tour of the Ōtaki today? Okay, um, right, well, we're operating out of our home, and uh, and it works really well. We don't really need an awful lot of space, but uh, through our kitchen reception area, if you like, and we have our... Uh, our lounge area with lots of local paintings and a bit of historic stuff, including my, my dad's convoy history during the Second World War. Um, oh, it looks like he had a bit of a tough time on that convoy if the was. flames coming out of the Navy ship or anything that, to go by. That's the HMS Trinidad. It was. That's uh, Ian Carson, editor and publisher of Ōtaki Today, taking me through the community newspaper's premises. As it turns out, the HMS Trinidad torpedoed itself by accident. Don't worry, though, Ian's dad survived, allowing Ian to be born. But that's not the point. If you can't tell already from our short history lesson in the lounge, this entire paper is put together in a small office opposite Ian's kitchen. 
we continued our tour where we met its other owner, Ian's wife Debbie Carson, in the hallway. Torpedoing yourself is not... It's not a good look, is it? No. It's not uh, recommended by the artist Sun Tzu or whatever. No. So can you take me through to the office, through yeah, the kitchen, sure. through the lounge, into the office? Yep, yep, it's uh, not a big house. My wife Debbie's lurking in the Hi, <laughs> hi Debbie, so I'm, I'm from RNZ, I'm going on a tour of the Otaki today. <laughs> Welcome. So here we have, a, it's, it's really a very small office. And um, Debbie and I have been working together for nearly 30 years now, so we're kind of used to each other. But we've got a desk um, facing each other with a partition in the middle so we don't have to look at each other all the time and we can work fairly independently. But a couple of decent-sized Macs, and, um, and that's about all the equipment we need. What's the commute like in the morning? Oh, it can be horrendous at times, you know. Sometimes the cat can get in the way and... Um, uh, you know, the, there might be a bit of washing in the hallway or something like that. So, um, yeah, it, it can probably take oh, maybe a minute or two and rather than, you know, 30 seconds to the kitchen to get the coffee. That's terrible. Despite the difficult commute, the Otaki Today seems to be a success story. It's been coming out once a month for five years and the Carsons have expanded their offering with a local history-focused magazine titled Otaki Yesterday. In fact, Otaki generally seems to be well furnished with local news. Otaki Today is one of two small local papers serving the town. The Otaki Mail is the other, run by the Greater Wellington Regional Councillor Penny Gaylor. In the last of these self-styled Media Watch regional specials, we focused a lot on what we miss out on when our major media organisations remove staff and resources from provincial centres. That erosion has affected Horofenua too. Its main paper is the Horofenua Chronicle. It was established in Levin in 1893 as the Daily Chronicle and later the Levin Chronicle. In its heyday, it was a six-day-a-week broadsheet paper commanding a cover price. Now it's owned by New Zealand Herald publisher NZME, which turned it into a free twice-weekly community paper in 2008, delivered to homes in Foxton, Shannon and Tokumaru, as well as Levin. Since COVID struck in 2020, the Chronicles appeared in letterboxes just once a week on Fridays, though it still has an office, an editor and a reporter in Levin. NZME's rival Stuff pulled the plug on its free weekly paper, the Horofenua Mail, in October last year after almost 30 years in print. It now covers Horofenua only on the Stuff website and its online platform Neighbourly, using reporters in neighbouring Manawatu. Those withdrawals have reduced the supply of local news. But they've also created opportunities for people like the Carsons to fill the vacant space with their own ventures. I, I spent a lot of time as a news editor at the Evening Post, so um, I was working with reporters and sub-editors and, and other people and photographers and so on, so I knew the, the news business pretty well. When we started the newspaper, it was a matter of just putting those skills to work and then realising that if you can be hyper-local, as they say, there's, I think, great opportunities throughout New Zealand, probably throughout the world. If you can do news well and offer real value but on a small scale, then there are great opportunities for either budding journalists or experienced journalists who want to do something different. Um, you know, find your community, preferably a community that you really understand and maybe, like us, um, have a real connection with that community, and then just do everything with high value and really locally and get the trust of the communities behind it. You guys are media veterans. Is the thesis correct that, that you have seen a reduction in community news output and staffing levels, journalists covering 
these sorts of local areas. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's where I think the opportunities are for community newspapers and probably for community journalism generally, whether it's a website, a good website, or a good newspaper, or, or even a good radio station, I think there are real opportunities for people to just get out there into the community and get the stories. I'm asked quite often whether there's enough happening in Otaki to be able to fill the paper every time, but I've got a list of stories that I could do, half a dozen papers still, um, with stories that I've just held over from last issue. So there's plenty happening and there's plenty of controversy, there's plenty of um, issues that local people feel like they need somebody to talk to. And uh, as, as a newspaper, I think that's our role, to listen to people. To what extent is this a family operation? I think there's a lot of Carsons on the mast here when I flip through. <laughs> yeah, our contributor list um, does seem to stop at sea. And um, <laughs> no, we've got our son Jared, who's been cartooning since he was two years old, and he does our cartoons for us. Um, his son Caius uh, contributes a, uh, a word puzzle. He's just turned 12, so he's contributing in there. My brother Fraser has been running PR agencies and advertising agencies in Wellington for years and has a, a real interest in media, so he does a column for us pretty regularly. I think that's about it at this stage, but th- there are only more coming five, on. Only five casts, so it's a, it's a really family-run operation that we're dealing with here. It is. And, and is and there I, benefits to that, and is there also downsides? <laughs> well, I, th- I think the benefits are that you can just tap somebody on the shoulder and say, look, can you, can you help out? And there's expertise there, so why wouldn't you tap into the expertise that, that is really available to you through the family? Um, and it costs us nothing, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's, there's people that are willing to work for free, eh? That's, uh, that, we, that always you know, helps. We chuck Fraser a bottle of wine every now and oh, again. Oh, that's so know, nice of you guys. Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind. Yeah. Caius gets some pocket money. Okay. <laughs> it really cost us virtually nothing to start Otaki today. The only cost was our print cost. Which is getting just, higher, though, right, Debbie? It is. Yeah, the print cost is yeah, a bit of a problem. That's what, that's what the majors are struggling with. Yes, it is. But um, yeah, but we're we're managing with it. It's we've got a great printer, and um, they talk to us. Yeah, we we, we were up fifty percent in our or nearly fifty percent in our print costs uh, this year. Um, so we've just had to put our advertising rates up and uh, and write it out, and and we've had really no adverse reaction because I think people understand at the moment that that's um, that's just the nature of um, the economic environment at the moment. Mm. Um, if you did have to make an economic pitch for starting a new community newspaper, what would it be? It can be done, but the circumstances have to be right, and it, ne- it does need a passion to want to do it. You do need to have the trust of your community. Um, we started a publication in Carterton many years ago, and of course that was right out of our area, and it was a visitor publication, but we had the support of a local woman who got all the businesses that she could together. Uh, We went and spoke to them, and that just kicked off that publication. So it just showed us that, you know, you can't just go in cold and try and start something. You've got to connect to the local business community and the community. You you do if you want it to be successful, and um, it worked for us. While the Carson family's Ōtaki Today and rival monthly Ōtaki Mail prove community papers work in Hōra there's not so much evidence for the viability of local radio. 
The only nearby stations broadcasting to the region are National Network More FM on 90.3 FM and Independent Beach FM on 106.3. They're both based across the border in Kapiti. For years, the best-known broadcaster in Horofenua itself was the Radio Reading Service, a unique service for those who struggled to read the news. Volunteers in Levin read newspapers and magazines over the year on AM and FM to Horofenua and Manawatu. They provided the labour and the studio, and Tararua motorcycle gang members dug the trench to connect the studio to the transmitter to get it going in 1987. But that station lost its New Zealand on-air funding in 2017 and went off-air for good in 2021. These days, the closest thing to a local radio station in Horofenua is Coast Access Radio, which operates out of a small office in Waikanae, close to the northern Horofenua Kapiti border. Welcome to a week of it from KC News for Coast Access Radio. Te Whare Waita opens. The Waitariri Beach coastline is even more stunning and safe with the opening of the new Waitariri Beach Surf Life Saving Community Facility, Te Whare Waita. Te Whare Waita translates to the House of Waita. Waita, one of the stars of the Matariki constellation, is connected. Just like the Carsons, it's committed to providing content you might not get anywhere else. This is how its programme director, Catherine Scullin, describes its content. We get the cool stuff. We get the real life stuff, not the politics and the argy bargy. I've spoken to a few people in community stations and newspapers and that kind of stuff, and that's sort of what they almost uniformly say that when they see the major news organisations' coverage, it doesn't really reflect the kind of richness of the mm. community and the various things that are going on, many of which are very positive. Yeah. And a lot of what's on the news is how many ram raids have been committed or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't really talk about, like you said, like the, the colour and the, the light and shade of life. So some of the stories can be unbelievably sad and that may not sell papers either if it's not about a massive flood that's happening somewhere. But it, it's, it's real life here happening locally. And then some of the other stories are unbelievably beautiful, but also some of the giving back that community does. So you find out these stories about people who are, I don't know, what even the Rotary are doing, where that money gets directed to, where the money goes to that they raise. I mean, all these wonderful human stories that we're missing out. Life can be so depressing. It's sort of nice to get the, to get the good stuff. Do you feel that people like you and stations like yours are filling a gap that has sort of been left increasingly open by the major media organisations? Oh, absolutely. If you didn't have... So we've only got two local stations here. One's commercial and one is an access station. If we didn't have those two stations, locals would not really know what was going on, apart from picking up a local paper that may be filled with information from the council. And to be fair, if you're a resident, sometimes you may not want to know about that. You know, a good or bad a job as you think they're doing, you do need some more light and colour with what's yeah. happening. And if those, I think if those stations weren't there, there's a couple of newspapers that are trying to do a really great job as well, like Otaki Today, Ian Carson's doing a great job of getting local stories. But I think we need all of us to keep going to provide these. I mean, these, some of these stories that we get are fabulous and it would be such a shame if we didn't provide those stories to the general public. And it's tough to be hard on them, especially given their economic situation. But do you think that there is a potential that some of our commercial media organisations and 
our publicly funded ones, because RNZ has lost people in the regions as well. Do you yeah. think that we are missing a trick here? Are we missing out on good stories? Well, you're not missing out because we're here. <laughs> but I think in general, yes, the internet does help. So, yeah, I think we are missing out. We've got to do more work. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, we need to fund you. Maybe you yeah. need more money. Yeah, I need more money. Yeah, we need how more do we money. Get, how do you get more money? I Council? think we do have a little bit of sponsorship from about, I think we have nine sponsors. We could probably do with some more. If you're around Waikanae, this is a shout-out from Media Watch. <laughs> <laughs> Come and sponsor Coast Access Radio. Yeah, even just bring us some coffee and biscuits. That'd uh, be great. Anything. I'd love a coffee as well. Unfortunately, I had to buy my own coffee. I didn't have time to wait for the sponsorship dollars to roll in because I was due to set off to a farm near the small Hudafenua town of Manako where Christy McGregor edits Shepherdess, a magazine devoted to telling the stories of women that live in provincial New Zealand. Before we sat down for an interview, McGregor took me on a tour of her property where her partner Mike Keeling farms 340 cows. You guys are pretty stinky, i got to tell you. That's me ingratiating myself to the animals. The dairy and beef operation has slimmed down slightly in recent years, and there are some hopes that Shepherdess could become the biggest enterprise on site. Yeah, we're becoming quite a small farm, really. You're going to be more of a media enterprise than... (laughs) Yeah, well, we kind of have a um, you know running competition just between. <laughs> what <snotty>. like who, <laughs> who 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 pulls in the most <laughs> money per month? Well, I was like with the TV deal, right? You <laughs> must be. Money. I was trying with to um, beat beat his. Uh, no, that's joking. We're not really competitive <laughs> between us. I'm oh. unaware of any running competition. Well, that's 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 how she gets you. <laughs> that's how she wins. That may be a joke, but McGregor has reason to be optimistic about Shepherdess's prospects. The magazine is another successful upstart local initiative in a region replete with them. Since she founded it in 2019, it's become a multi-tiered media operation. A six-part TV series based on the magazine has just finished its run and is now up on SkyGo and Neon. We used to go to play centre together. We went to Porong High School together. Here he was 25 years later still waiting for me to come back. <laughs> something that people don't realise about rural New Zealand is that there are a lot of different folks. It's absolutely beautiful, but it really tests you. Lakes so pure and cold, hills always with gold. To leave your home and your friends and your career when you're 40 is quite something. McGregor also runs Shepherdess Muster, an eclectic three-day festival featuring everything from entrepreneurship panels to burlesque dancing. It's a busy job and one balanced with the demands of parenthood, but she's passionate about the work. Where did you come up with the idea of doing a magazine pitched in this direction? I never you know, saw myself doing a magazine on my own, but it, I guess I felt that there's a lot of media and Definitely there's rural media comes thick and fast into your letterbox um, when you live at a rural delivery address. I felt like there's a lot of sort of cows and grass, but it wasn't so much about people and their experiences and their lives. I guess we want to be able to go deeper and hear not just the woman in her work role 
you know, maybe she's a shepherd, but actually here, the backstory here, it's not just the fluffy piece. You know, we don't want to be the fluffy pieces. We want to be um, stories that really relate and stories that are really real. We're not interested in who's just won the latest medal or award or gone and climbed Mount Everest. It's actually that your neighbour or your mum or your sister or, you know, I think there's this stereotype of, you know, who might live on a farm or who might um, live out in the WAPs. but bloke sort of red bands. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, like, if you go digging or not even have to dig too much, you'll find that there's so many incredible women living all over in, you know, rural and remote parts of New Zealand um, doing so many good things. And you found that there's quite a big audience for just telling those sorts of stories, personal stories about people's challenges in this very particular setting. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that those kind of stories are relatable to you wherever you are. You know, you you, you don't go into <laughs> go into printing a magazine to um, rake in the dough. Um, you have to absolutely love what you do. Absolutely, I think that there's a, a place for there's a place for what we're doing um, on the shelves and um, out there in the community. The community support has been huge. Every time a subscription comes through the website, you know, it does make you smile because it's like gee, someone really believes in what we're doing. Is it a bit utopian to think that there's money, there's uh, jobs in telling these stories, even if it seems like the media is increasingly pulling out of regional and rural areas? Interesting question, because I I used to live on a cattle station in far western Queensland on the South Australian border. It's 2.2 million acres. And we used to get the mail plane every week, once a week. Longest mail run in the world at the time. On the plane, there would be the newspaper, um, the Queensland Country Life. And you'd open the newspaper and in the middle of it was a town and country section and it had all the stories of what people were up to, uh, which is what I missed when I came here. But I think community newspapers do do that um, and they do it well. You know, that's those local stories and the sharing of that. New Zealand is probably, uh, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but hyper-local, you know. So, yeah, it's sort of you're hearing that but only in your really discreet locality. Um, so, you know, at, in Ortaki we've got two community newspapers which are both telling uh, lots of good stories locally and in, in other areas, even if you look north from here, you know, there just isn't. Um, but there's a... Um, diversity of the ways that you might live um, in rural New Zealand and the ways that you might be and the opinions that you have and the experiences that you've had. And, and I guess if we can shine a little bit of a light on that, then, yeah, and make... Yeah, because it, yeah. it is often in main, mainstream media, if mm. there's a rural voice coming through, it's often groundswell or it's sort of a political one or it's complaining. And whenever you talk to a community, they say, you know, when we appear in the media, it doesn't reflect who we are. It doesn't reflect the, the contrast and the light and the dark mm. of our community. Mm. Is it the same with you guys where you feel like you are providing more of a rich tapestry of rural life than maybe you get elsewhere in the media? Yeah, absolutely. And there is so much good stuff going on in rural New Zealand, like um, talent and opportunity. And um, what I guess I hope Shepherdess does a little bit is sort of shout those those really good things from the rooftops because I think it's really otherwise easy to get bogged down or, um, you know, uh, saddened by often some of the narratives that are shared. But actually, let's shout out the really good stuff because there's, you know, there's so much of it. Mm. Um, it's really nice talking to you. Thank you so much, Christy. Thank you. McGregor saw stories from her community that weren't being aired and perspectives that weren't being shared, and she decided to step in to fill the gap herself. 
Back in Ōtaki, a similar story is playing out at the Māori Land Charitable Trust. I arrive at its headquarters on a Saturday, at a perhaps less than ideal time for a contemplative radio interview. That's the five-piece Polynesian metal band Shepherd's Rain playing at Māori Land, and as it turns out, they have quite a different vibe to Shepherdess. If you keep an ear out, you'll hear them making another appearance a bit later on, after my chat with Māori Land founder Libby Hakaraya. She made the first steps towards setting up this organisation a decade ago, after her short film, The Lawnmower Men of Kapu, made it into festivals around the world. At the Imagine Native Festival in Toronto in 2014, she stood on stage and spontaneously invited the thousand people in attendance to come back to Ōtaki and watch some movies. I said, you know, we, we really would love you to come. Just, we'd just like you to know that whilst we don't have any really big hotels, motels, actually we don't have any nightclubs, we've got three bars, but you probably don't want to go to those bars after about 11 o'clock at night. I didn't quite go there, that's a bit of a... That's, that's <laughs> embellishment, I'm afraid. But, you know, come to our place, because what we do have is manaki, and we will manaki you. We will look after you, our people will look after you, and we're going to call ourselves Māori Land, and the whole place erupted. And immediately after that, people were coming up to us going, we're coming to your film festival. And so, you know, it became real really quickly. It's just gone vertical. That's no exaggeration. Māori Land is now one of the biggest Indigenous film festivals in the world, and its distinctive headquarters sits at the heart of Ōtaki's town centre. But before she got into the movie business, Hakaraya was a journalist, and that experience helped motivate her to set up such a Māori-centred and unmistakably Ōtaki event. I mean, I started in commercial radio as a 17-year-old, fresh out of school, and I spent a lot of uh, years with the ABC in, in Sydney and then across the world and strung for various places. And I was always amazed at the diversity of um, people working behind the scenes, but the, the very monocultural um, opinion or viewpoint. Or, you know, I got stuck as a journalist for a long time, really, you know, wondering what this impartiality thing we were supposed to kind of carry as a badge of honour when really, um, I, you know... I discovered quite early on in my career that um, there was always a top, and the top always controlled, you know, even the best desires of the most fantastic journalists they got. At some point, you know, the top controlled everything. And I also saw the undermining of, of, of Māori voices at that time, and they were loud and they were angry, and they had a... Even now I can remember thinking, There's, they're right, you know, at that time, we didn't have all of the, you know, the social media and all the, the things, that, the other channels that you can, you know, tell your story, have your voice um, at least heard. I mean, you know, you, back then, um, very few places, there was a, a cynical lack of interest from those that held the power to have those stories told, and it was racism. It was raw racism. Long story short, as I started making documentaries, because I saw that as a way to infiltrate mainstream television here in, back in New Zealand to subvert, you know, the very power base that, you know, that we had to go through in the day to even get near um, the tools to make the stories, to get them in mainstream. And this is before Māori television, so I really wanted to... Um, um, but it was also a great thing to be able to do long-form 
you know, interviews with people. So in between the, you know, from the radio and travelling, coming back, I was lucky enough to have some really great mentors and was on the ground for the first, the pilot um, station of what then became the Māori, Iwi Māori Network. So that was in Auckland, and that was also the precursor to Māori television. So some really great people that, kind that again, context and, and hindsight, I've realised is that, you know, we... When we're young, we go in there and we want to bash, we want to pull it all down and, 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 and you know, smash it all up because, or, you know, um, play the game. Play the game, you know, however, whatever that looks like. So, again, it comes down to the same thing, so that we can tell the stories that we want to tell. And there's a lot of stories that haven't been told in the Māori world. They just are. They haven't been told. To what extent were you inspired to do this by your experience in the media and finding that Māori perspectives were often undermined or didn't come through? Mm, it's the driver. It's the absolute driver. The young people that I work with, I mean, they're interested in our stories of where we came from. And that's the other difference, you know. We're as important to them as they are to us. That's the tuakana The young people uh, inform the older people and the older people. It's a, it's a flow. And so what they will encounter going forward with whatever they do will never be what we had to do by building it. Because, you know, our film industry is 30 years young. Um, before that was radio and before that was our Māori newspaper. So, we've you know, we're connected to... And before that, we told stories. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is if I hadn't had the experience I had, I you know, wouldn't be here talking to you now because... I'm still passionate about telling our stories. I still want to be a... I guess I still want to be a war correspondent. <laughs> you know? Because sometimes it feels like that. You know, sometimes the fact that the mainstream don't know about us doesn't worry me at all. So Māori Land is about just, like I said, amplifying voices that we haven't heard, listening to each other's stories. That's what mainstream isn't able to do because it operates in a vacuum you know it operates in people's lounge rooms where people aren't actually having conversations or those old days where neighbours might have talked to each other that's getting less and less the anger and the kind of um, you know I mean I can't stomach talk back radio at all because I just see that as part of that you know what I talked to you about growing up with or you know being a young journalist with the polarisation of um, people's opinions and just these really nasty people who are cynical um, and are winding it up and then getting into their, you know, overpaid, plumped up, ego-driven megalomaniacs. I don't want to hear them. But maybe if they came and we sat down or we watched something together and we kind of like, you know, there was a moment where we accepted that we actually didn't know that. You know, I didn't know about that. Well, what, you know, let's talk about that. You know, like there's things... A lot of people in the mainstream, I don't think, and this is the great sadness, actually know anything about Māori, about tikanga 101. Um, they've never taken the time. They don't think it means anything to them. Why don't they just stop and think about that? Uh, and this is what, I guess, the possibility is of, of Māori land and what you're trying to achieve here. Yeah, and it is. It's, um, like I said, you know, we made this for our community, and one of the, the joys that I've had, because, again, it's not a 
quick solution, but one of the joys I have is that when I see the light go on um, in our young people and in our elderly and in their families, and they're able to sit next to people they'd never have wanted to speak to before in their lives, you know, that, it goes both ways. And we need to create more community sharing each other's stories and experiences. Anything else that's driven by, you know, shareholders and boards and, you know, I, you know, I can't help but think cynically, but with a real kind of <laughs> awareness that I've watched this for, four, you know, for the whole of my um, career, that's never going to change. Hey, thank you very much for joining me, Libby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we are the mainstream, so, yeah. you know, get with it. <laughs> And with that, Hakadaya went downstairs to experience the community of Shepherd's Rain's mosh pit. The crowd was diverse, young and old, Pākehā, Māori and Pacific. It just goes to show the possibilities you can realise and the achievements you can pull together with a bit of creativity, bravery and passion for your local area. The sounds of Shepherd's Rain, a five-piece Polynesian metal band from South Auckland, performing recently at the Māori Land Hub in Ōtaki, and closing out Hayden Donnell's look at the grass and flax roots media in Horofenua, with a small incursion south across the border into Kapiti for good measure to Coast Access Radio. And Shepherdess, the six-part series made in Manukau, just seven kilometres to the north, by Christy Cameron, is available on demand and for free on the SkyGo platform. And we'll be visiting more regions around the country in future here on Media Watch. If you know of an interesting media outlet that's not exactly national news, but which RNZ national listeners might like to hear about, let us know. But that's all from us here at Media Watch this week. We'll be back handing out some Media Watch awards for the year next Wednesday on our last midweek Media Watch for 2023. That's after the news at 10 next Wednesday on Nights with Mark Leishman. And then we'll be back again one last time with a look back of the year in media on Media Watch next weekend, Christmas Eve, here on RNZ National.